Five Drive. Catch up. We are so close to the World Cup kicking off in Qatar. The hype is building up in the midst of uh, club football. And on the line this afternoon is a legend of the beautiful game. Uh, We all associate his voice and his name uh, to the beautiful game with ease. Uh, He spent many years with us on the FIFA game. Football commentator Martin Tyler, welcome to 5 Drive on 5FM. Nice to be with you. Uh, Before we talk about the World Cup, I'd like to start off with with commentating in general. I can imagine it it isn't an easy job. Uh, How long does it take for you to prepare a match? And, and what goes into it? The answer is simple. How long have I got? If, um, <laughs> if it's two weeks to the next game, then you take most of that time, that's for sure. Um, but in World Cups, it's uh, game after game after game. And clearly, um, uh, I think as, as I've got older, I found it hard to plan ahead too much. So um, it'll be a game starting on the 20th of November, um, doing the game, getting back to base, getting ready for the game on the 21st of November, doing the game, getting back to base (laughs) and getting ready for the game on the 22nd of November. There's certain things you can do, of course, um, to just plan ahead. Some of the basics are there, how the team's qualified, have they played this country before, um, how many caps is it for the players and things like that. Um, But the final tuning part of it um, you, you, you've got a couple of hours really and um, that's the challenge uh, it isn't an easy job as you said but it's a very uh, challenging job it's a job I've been privileged to have for a very long time uh, and I think it is by looking forward and treating the next game as the most important game in your life um, that you keep going um, it isn't something I look back on I know I get asked a lot of questions about what I've done in the past, but um, that, there's only so much memory in the Tyler head, you know, <laughs> and that's <laughs> concentrating on what's coming up rather than what's already happened. And um, I always wanted to ask uh, a top commentator this question. Uh, in your memory, uh, uh, is there any vivid uh, memories uh, of uh, experiencing the commentator's curse? Is it a real thing? Yeah, well, I think it happens from time to time. We say, well, he's uh, having a great game and the ball's given away. You sort of live with it, really. Um, uh, the commentary can't be perfect, so players' performances <laughs> can't be perfect either, however good they are. Uh, so sometimes that coincides and it's a, it's a little laugh amongst the you know the, the broadcasters and the audience I guess because um, yeah as I say we're, we're trying to do um, to keep up with a fast moving game and uh, actually identifying the players as the most important part of the job and if you pass the odd opinion then that opinion comes back to hit you in the face a few seconds later <laughs> so be it um, and uh, over your long career what has been I'm sure you get this a lot what has been your standout moment in your commentating career uh, and I know if I ask uh, football fans about your commentary the Aguero moment obviously comes up uh, and if you ask me personally it's the, the 2012 Champions League final uh, what is it for you? I think it was being asked to do the first game you know I mean I was not a it wasn't an orthodox route into broadcasting if there is such a thing there probably is more so now but there was even back then where you maybe got onto local radio and worked your way through to national stadiums and then maybe for radio to television I didn't have any of that um, I was basically um, a non-league footballer who had the opportunity to do a bit of football journalism while I was playing and that led me into um, an opportunity in television uh, but not as a commentator as a gopher really and I was um, I, I was lucky to be on the inside 
I wanted to get back out to football grounds where I spent most of my Saturday afternoons since I first went to watch football when I was a, a seven or eight year old. Um, and trying commentary seemed to be a good way of doing it. So uh, I did a couple of tests and being on the inside, you basically, uh, of course, have got the ear of people who can have some influence. Uh, and then a job, a one-off job came up um, with a small regional station in the south of England. Um, and I got recommended for it, very fortunately, very kindly by the person who did it. Um, then, of course, you're faced up, well, you've got a chance now. Um, and it's nerve-wracking to think, well, it could be two games in one, your first and your last. <laughs> so, um, uh, But being given the confidence to... Um, that, that I could do it by those around me. Um, and I, I suppose I had some inner belief myself. That um, was very, very nerve-wracking. The anniversary is coming up very soon, December the 28th, it was, 1974. Um, so 48 years. Uh, and um, I remember it as if it was yesterday. So that, that yes, of course, the Aguero moment at home. You know, very lucky to be associated with that. Other other games, other people have views on um, things that I said and and that captured the the moment. Um, but I always try to do that. And yeah. Therefore, it's um, and sometimes you do fall short, and you know that. But uh, it's it's an ongoing challenge to read the play if you like and. Um, then find something, uh, I was going to say read the script, but there's no script. It's un totally unscripted. And you just hope that you can find the words that don't mess up the moment. <laughs> and if they can enhance the moment, so be it. But the, um, I think the key is just to be, um, to be there for the listener, the viewer, uh, when you're needed. Because you know, people watch football, the sound runs a bit like music sometimes in commentary. Oh, who's that? I want to know well, who scored that. Yeah. Who's done that? And that's where, as a commentator, you have to try and be spot on. For sure. Um, and Martin, I, you were talking about your first fixture. Do you remember the fixture it was? Uh, who was playing who? I remember everything about it. Um, it was Southampton and against Sheffield Wednesday in the what is now called the Championship. It was Division Two of the old football league in those days, the second tier of English football. Southampton were building quite a good side because I think some 18 months later, they won the FA Cup as a second division team and they beat Manchester United in the final. Um, that was in the 1976 FA Cup final. And Sheffield Wednesday, I, I tell this story because people think, well, Sheffield Wednesday is quite a big club and they've had some history. They've been in the Premier League and at that time they were in the second division. This game, I think I told you, was on December the 28th, which is midway through the season, right? Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday won that game 1-0, um, my first game. And they didn't win another league game all season, all <laughs> through January, February, March and April. <laughs> so I suppose it was a bit of a collector's item, but it um, didn't help the commentator because you, you want the home team to be doing well in some sense because it creates a better atmosphere. Um, but uh, the goal scorer was um, a very recognisable young man called Eric Potts who had ginger hair. And my first goal that I commentated on ever he scored it, and I was always been grateful because you couldn't really have mistaken him for anybody else. Shifting the focus to the World Cup, it is a bit weird that the World Cup kicks off in a couple of weeks, uh, but we're still watching club football. Um, from where you sit, can you tell which players are kind of almost saving themselves for the World Cup? 
No, I, I don't think I can. And I, I think it would be disrespectful even to hint at it, really. I suppose there will be questions about those who aren't uh, playing and, and if they suddenly um, come into focus once the World Cup starts, then we might revisit this conversation. Um, but I was at uh, Tottenham versus Liverpool yesterday with a lot of players who are going to the World Cup uh, on view and it was a full-on, uh, full-blown Premier League game. And uh, any thoughts that you might have had going into the game that, oh, that might you know, soft pedal a little bit, there's, they've only got one more league game to play now, which is obviously next weekend. So I think there is a, a real bonus for we'll have to wait and see because some players obviously have been injured and will miss out but I do think that the players are playing right up to the weekend before means they will hit the ground running literally running um, whereas they won't have you know that period after uh, I've been talking to some ex-players about this and have been to tournaments the, the traditional June, July tournaments and they've had to sort of wait they've been given a few days off and then they have to restart training again and there's a bit of hanging around and really what, what they want is the season to finish so that they can have a bit of a holiday after a hard winter's work so they would rather have gone from say the middle of May straight to a tournament starting at the end of May even in the the old system the, the, the previous system so um We'll 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 see. I I think it could be a bonus. I think there could be some. Uh, obviously, the the climate will have a, a factor on this, but I think there could be some games played where you go. Yeah, I noticed that difference actually. Maybe the early um, group games in a World Cup where players have had a little bit of time off in between the yeah. end of the leagues and the start of a World Cup. Uh, and then Martin, in terms of commentating, do you have any World Cup games uh, that stand out for you? Matches that you've commentated on. I think the, the, the finals are always an honour to do. I suppose my only finals for British television, and um, because I work for Sky Sports, who don't have the rights to these major tournaments, which are regarded as sort of national treasures, they have to be on free-to-air television. Uh, but in 1982, I did for ITV, I, I commentated on the World Cup final then, which was a great game between Italy and Germany. And, um, and I, was, I was well ahead of my career path, really. I was very lucky to get it. There were one or two circumstances I won't bore you with. But anyway, I, I was given the opportunity. And I, rem I remember um, looking in the mirror, <laughs> I sort of brushed my hair at the host. And I thought, when you come back into this room, um, you know, something will have moved in one direction or another because this is the biggest game by a, a country mile that you've ever done. Um, and uh, that, that was it. And I came back in the room and you never please, you never totally sat over the commentary, but it, it went okay. And the, um, uh, that, that uh, I guess, it took me another step forward. You know, when you, yeah. you something something in your life you haven't experienced before and it's it's taking you slightly out of your comfort zone and um, you, you, you have the benefit of that. I think I learned a lot that day and I survived it. That's the most important thing. <laughs> uh, Martin, uh, over some time now, I've, I haven't experienced as many World Cups of, uh, as you have. Um, and if I go online and there's uh, people talking about World Cup on Twitter and there's like a long thread of, of people saying which World Cup is the best World Cup, uh, I feel uh, I see a lot of South African shouts, uh, the 2010 World Cup uh, being one of the best. Uh, in your opinion, what is the best World Cup that you've, that you've experienced? <laughs> well, I didn't commentate on it because I'm English. So 1966, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did go to one of the games. I got tickets for the last group game when England beat France 2-0, which was a, a significant game because Jimmy Greaves, the, the great England goal scorer, got injured and a young lad called Jeff Hurst came in for the quarterfinal to take his place and scored the winner against Argentina and then ended up being the only man still to score a hat-trick in the World Cup final itself. But that's not really the question you asked me. Um, I think I, I enjoyed South Africa very much and I think the, uh, the organisation was excellent. Um, the weather wasn't quite so good. I mean, we're talking about um, the, the difference in, uh, in climate going to Qatar, of course, uh, for South Africa. I, I took a lot of warm weather clothes with me, um, but I remember there was a game in uh, is it Kings Park in Johannesburg where where it was about two degrees and yeah. a lot of the broadcasters turned up in shorts and t-shirts <laughs> and uh, and st- I'm not sure it even made it through the game but um, yeah it, it, it was a great experience I can still remember now checking in to my hotel um, and I'd been to South Africa before but checking into my hotel and I said Mr Tyler welcome um, your room is uh, you're signing in for 41 nights and I thought wow 41 nights in South Africa that's going to be an experience and, and it was and uh, you know right to right to the very last so that, that, that was a very good one um, I think they've all, they've all had their identity um, I think one thing about Qatar which will make it a little bit easier for the broadcasters and the fans as well. It's, all the grounds are pretty close together. Yeah, transport's very important to the memory of it because if you get stuck... I mean, I did have to drive or be driven from Johannesburg to Durban because we couldn't get any other forms of transport. So I saw a lot of the countryside in 2010 uh, and enjoyed it enormously. I've got um, a South African partner now and... Uh, I talked to her a lot about, and she said, you can't believe that you drove from Johannesburg to, to Durban. We don't do that. And uh, I said, well, I did. And so um, that's one up on her, really. <laughs> Something uh, not every South African has experienced driving from Joburg to Durban. Um, just from, uh, finally, Martin, uh, uh, from an African perspective, uh, going to Qatar, obviously it's the last World Cup uh, where Africa only gets five places at the World Cup. Um, who... In your opinion, has has the most quality? Who will uh, raise a few eyebrows? I don't know because we um, listen. They've all got um, they've got there, and I think we have to respect everybody who's got there because it's not easy. And uh, although the widening of the numbers has given more opportunities, I mean Senegal are the champions, aren't they? So I would say um, they they must you know fly the flag for the continent, I think. But uh, that's not to say the others don't have a chance. I do think that, um, and I'm hedging the question really, but I think with um, justification, we won't know. This is unique. We won't know. We've talked about playing right up to the end of the, um, the week before, um, which never has never happened the World Cup before. Um, we don't know the how that's going to lead to the squads. We're waiting. I think we had one squad last week, Japan, and then Tommy Asu of Arsenal got injured on the same day it was announced. Mm. So um, uh, we're we're all waiting. I'm sitting here. I, I can actually got it in my left hand, a notebook, a, a pad where I'm going to write all the scores out, but only when they're confirmed. I'm not going to do the long list of 55. Um, and I'm sort of waiting for those to drop. And I think that will, you know, we're all going, broadcasters, fans, footballers. And um, 
you know, we don't know. And that's, I suppose, why we go, really, because the, the excitement, the uncertainty of, of how it's going to pan out, who can win. Um, there is sort of a set of winning nations. And, of course, there hasn't been an African nation. So why not? Why not? I think, I think it's going to be the most open World Cup. And, um, you know, if, if there, are, there is a group of African players who, who are just right place, right time, and um, it could happen. We've been saying for many years it will happen, and uh, maybe this is the time. Uh, Martin, I was wondering if I could call on your improvisation skills. Um, I don't know. I don't know how good they are, uh, but if you don't mind, if it, and you can say no if if you want to. But I would like a little uh, sting that I can play before my sports bulletins uh, on the radio. Uh, if you could uh, almost. Uh, start off uh, a commentary on a, on a particular fixture uh, and, in, and introduce me as, as your co-commentator. Well, we're here at one of our featured matches and I must say I'm really looking forward to it. The atmosphere is terrific and alongside me is Jude Van Veek. Jude. Martin Tyler, thank you so much for, for doing that and taking the time out to, to chat to us on 5FM uh, and I wish you nothing but the best for the rest of the year uh, and I hope that the World Cup goes smoothly. Thank you. I'm, I feel I need all these good wishes. It's going to be an adventure and maybe we'll talk when it's all over, yeah? For sure. Thank you so much, Martin. Okay, bye, Jude. Bye-bye. Bye. Catch up from some of the best moments from the 5 Drive team by going to 5FM's Catch-Up page on the 5FM app or 5FM.co.za.